you've got the classic jock versus nerd clash in this situation. I mean, Bryson kind of seems like the guy that Brooks would stuff in the lockers when he was in high school, you know? It's the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. Hey, welcome to episode 65, the Jermaine Effetti edition of the podcast. A year after losing a soul-crushing Super Bowl to the Patriots on the one-yard line, the Seahawks decide to select Effetti to shore up the offensive line with a 31st pick of round one. And boy, oh boy, did he have a rocky tenure in the Pacific Northwest. I will give him that he was durable. I'll give him that at least, playing 60 of 64 games, but he's best remembered for being a penalty machine. He had 46 accepted. That's just accepted penalties in his four seasons in Seattle, topping off at 16 in his second season. They moved him from guard to tackle, and he struggled. They finally decided to let him walk to Chicago after his rookie deal expired. Effetti was a punching bag. For good reason, he was brutal. The hilarious false narrative for many years in the NFL media is that the Seahawks don't draft offensive linemen or they've tried to convert several college defensive players to the offensive line. They did that once, successfully I might add, drafting J.R. Sweezy in the seventh round, switched him to offense, and he played eight seasons and counting in the NFL and was in the Super Bowl winning team. They attempted to do it again with Christian Sicoli, a sixth round pick, and he didn't quite pan out. That's it. That's the list of players they switched offense. A guy who lasted a long time and another who bounced around for a few years. Not tons of guys, as is falsely reported. However, the most off-base belief is that Seattle doesn't address the offensive line. That's absolutely bonkers. For a seven-year stretch, they drafted the most offensive lineman in football. I'll say it again. The most offensive line of any team in the league. One year, they were playing all first or second rounders on the offensive line. Russell Okung, first rounder. James Carpenter, first rounder. Justin Britt, second. The aforementioned Effetti, first rounder. Ethan Postick, another second rounder. All picked in the top two rounds in the Pete Carroll era. So before you believe these false narratives, realize that they have attempted, to varying degrees of success, to protect Russell Wilson. Also, their former offensive line coach, Tom Cable, somehow skated by with the belief that he was a great offensive line coach? Where the heck does that come from? Seattle's O-line was trash, had all first and second rounders on it, and he was a coach, yet fans thought he was amazing? Huh? That's the most bogus and baffling good words thing I'll bet at all. How can a position coach be at the helm of a trash unit, yet everyone praises his efforts? Makes zero sense to me. Now that I'm all worked up, let's get to my next guest. He's a big football fan, so I'll be sure to bring up the Seahawks beating his Packers in the NFC title game, the contest before Seattle lost to the Patriots on the one-yard line in the Super Bowl. So without further ado, let's get cracking. Okay, now welcome on my good friend Chris Amberley. I've worked with him for well over a decade at TSN and also now for the website sportsbettingdime.com, where we offer gambling advice. He's also a huge golf and NFL fan like myself. Welcome to the H-Dog Pod, Chris. Harrison, man, thank you so much for having me. We go back all the way to the summer of 2006, I believe. So we're coming up on our uh, 15, an- 15 year anniversary of our friendship. I, I didn't even know. I didn't realize it was 15. I thought it was maybe, like, like I said, well over a decade. I thought it might have been like 11 or 12. So maybe I the... Mean, were you there for the U.S. Open that, uh, unfortunately, Colin Montgomery lost uh, and Phil Mickelson lost to uh, Jeff Ogilvy? No. So that would happen in June, right? Right around Father's Day. Right. And I didn't start at TSN until the back half of July. Mm. So I just missed that. And I'm just sure the 
I'm sure you would have provided some uh, interesting commentary on that final round. Oh man, I, I was doing the the highlight pack with uh, one of our coworkers, James Tone, great guy, and uh, helping him out. And I was so excited when Colin Montgomery made the putt on the 71st hole from like 50 feet. I freaking finally, Monty's finally going to get his major. Of course, everyone remembers Phil Mickelson for blowing that major and saying, you know, I'm such an idiot. But it was Colin Montgomery who screwed up that major before that, that people forget. And I was so excited. And then he screwed up the last hole and I'm still not over it. And then Jeff Bogle would be one at what? It was like plus, it was plus two or three, maybe, maybe even a higher score. I think it was plus five, something like that. Yeah, plus that was like quite the US Open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of uh, Phil Mickelson, uh, well, we'll get to your boy Aaron Rodgers in a little bit, but. Speaking of Phil Mickelson, uh, coming off the PGA Championship win, how, how cool is it to see him winning at 50? The, he's the oldest major champion ever. Oldest major champion on the longest major championship course ever, which, I mean, that really, it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. Like, are we living <laughs> in a simulation right now? I mean, <laughs> you know, he led the field in birdies. He was first in strokes gained tee to green, fifth in approach, 21st in driving. Just like, He was blowing the ball past Brooks, yeah. you know, on some holes, which is just... I mean, it's it's mind-boggling, right? Like to see that performance at that age. When, I mean, sure, he what he was the first-round leader after Wells Fargo, but prior to that, we haven't really seen any signs of him, you know, on the regular tour. Of course, he's won on the the, the Champions Tour a couple times, but I don't even know if he had a top twenty this season coming in. Did he? No, I don't believe so. I think he, well, he definitely hadn't had a hadn't had a top ten on the regular tour in like nine months, and I think it wasn't a top twenty this season. He'd had a couple like twenty fifth, thirtieth places, so I'd. Been telling people he'd been getting uh, playing a little bit better before that, but obviously, I certainly, uh, I certainly didn't think you had you would have a chance to win. Actually, in fact, after the first round, I think he was three back of Canadian Corey Connors, and uh, he was still a hundred to one to win the tournament. So I yeah. wish I would have bet more. Now I only bet two dollars and fifty cents on that for two hundred and fifty. But uh, obviously, I w- it wasn't really. I didn't actually think he was going to win the tournament. It was one of those like, in case he somehow does win, I want to be able to say I'm happy with the money as well type of. Th- I also did the same thing with Padraig Harrington, who's also, uh, I think he's 48 or 49. I mean, another great showing. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what the, the, like you said, the longest major championship course, and all these older guys are playing well. It, it defies logic. That's why golf's the best. Yeah, I mean, it is the best. The, the, the one thing I still can't wrap my, my head around is the fact that, you know, that course was so penal off the tee if you missed the fairway. And Phil, is he's got to be one of the most erratic players, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, most of the time on tour. And yet... This is the course where, you know, he breaks through for the first time since, what, the, the 2013 Open Championship. It was just, and I mean, to see all the fans following him around, and I know Kepka was kind of, you know, upset that some of the fans were bumping into him. But it was just so great to see, you know, a sporting event kind of that that looked, you know, relatively normal, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's been so long since we've seen that, and that walk up 18 was, that was something pretty special. Well, I mean, thank goodness. Uh, and when Tiger won the Masters in 2019, and of course Phil now at the PGA, there were a bunch of fans there because that would have just been like these iconic, incredible moments. W- without fans, it would just would have felt so, so empty, you know. Especially those moments where, of course, the other majors are the same thing, but they're not as, as special. But yeah, that obviously having fans back, it's especially even in hockey games, seeing the Canadian hockey games with no fans versus American games where there are fans. It's just totally, totally different. It's just a bizarre scene, right? And for Phil, I mean, I'm sure he's one of those guys out there that probably feeds off that kind of energy. Absolutely, yeah. And it's crazy to think that you were saying that you're leading in some stats. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, through two rounds, Phil led in strokes gained off a tee, which is like, <laughs> as you were saying, a parallel universe or whatever. It's like, 
What? Him leading the... What? That made no sense at all. It makes no sense, right? So I got another stat for you. So he led the field in strokes game Tita Green, um, obviously the PGA Championship. Coming into the week, he was 176th on tour (laughs) in that category. Listen to some of the names of the guys he was behind. Oh, I can't wait for this. KJ Choi. Oh, another quality vet. (laughs) That is the right word to describe him. Robbie Shelton. Okay, yeah. Ryan Armour, who, which, I mean, you hit it farther than Ryan Armour. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> Robert Streb, oh, the Hermanator, Jimmy Herman, and Rafael him. Campos. Wow. All guys ranked ahead of Phil in that category. I mean, so it's just, it's wow. mind-boggling. And, and, you know, he's he's known as a short-game wizard. And, you know, I think he was he was almost, you know, near the bottom of the field of the guys that made the cutting ways and scrambling for the week. So he was just getting it done with, you know, with his driver and uh, with his irons. It was, and it was a ball striking clinic. It's a, uh, it defies logic. And like I said, that's why golf is so good because you just never know week to week. The week before KH Lee, I think it was like 180 to one or something along those lines. To yeah, me. Even deeper at some spots I saw. And that's so annoying because I, 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 on sports betting dime, I, uh, as, as I said, we offer sports betting advice and I suggested to people to bet on KH Lee after just for the first round. Because he'd been playing pretty well on the first round. I didn't think he would take it the distance to 72 holes. And of course, he, <laughs> he ends up winning the tournament. Of course, I didn't bet on him to win the tournament. I was like, oh my God, are you serious? Well, I mean, what is, I mean, especially in a course like that where you had to go super low to, to kind of get the job done. And KH Lee is not a guy that we would traditionally associate with, you know, you know excelling at a birdie party. <laughs> no, it's just uh, like, yeah, I, I love the sport and uh, the randomness of golf is, uh, you know, what keeps you coming back. And, and oh, and so, just just what a great sweat it is to bet on, right? You get four yeah. days worth of entertainment. I mean, there's, I mean, nothing can compete with that. Yeah, and what I actually like about uh, a lot of uh, golf betting and uh, the the app that I use uh, more often than not is Bet Three Six Five, and they're uh, more frequently now offering this bet is end of round leader. As we speak, I have a couple guys that I'm hoping to be the end of round leader: uh, Sergio and Morikawa and uh, Scott Stallings. Sergio Garcia, winner, Daniel. But I like end of round leader because instead of having to wait those four days to be able to maybe potentially cash in your money. And it's so difficult to predict golf. And if you're, you know, to actually be right in betting, it's nice to be able to pick a guy. And hopefully he has a great round, hot round, and then boom, you, you got your money three days earlier. So much better. Yeah, and you, you put it back in play the next day. I think that's what I did the first two days of the PGA, to be honest with you. I think it was, uh, yeah, I got Corey Connors at like when he was like two under or something. So the odds weren't amazing, but there might have been like 14 to one. Like, okay, good. I broke even that day. Same thing with the next day. Louis Yu stays in. Unfortunately, he co-led, so I didn't get as much money, but I still got half of that money. And I was like, pretty much, again, broke even day. Any day you break even, you've won, basically. So I was like, good. Well, and then, I mean, yeah, break it even. I mean, the entertainment factor alone is off the chart. So breaking even, it, it kind of feels like a win. Absolutely. And then I was able to hedge because I had, uh, like I said, I already bet Phil after day one. I bet Kepka pre-tournament. So I was able to hedge on literally everyone else who had a chance to win cashed it on Phil, then I kind of hoped Phil imploded because then I had money, a good amount of money on everybody else that could have won around him. It was, it was a pretty entertaining thing, but uh, yeah, it's definitely. Well, how still... surprised were you that Phil didn't implode down the stretch? Because I was, I kept waiting for him to give it away. Well, especially after the first hole on Sunday, it was a two-stroke swing. It's like, oh, here we go. The real champion, Kepka made birdie, Phil made bogey. It's going to be over, you know? And then all of a sudden, three-stroke swing the next hole the other way. That first five, six holes uh, were just incredible. The, the amount of times, two, three-shot swings, to fill a hole out for, from the bunker on five was obviously magical. Well, well. Oh, my gracious. I remember saying, like, 
This might have been one, I'm sure it was a bit of hyperbole, of course, but one of the best PGA championships to start the first five holes ever. And history will, will sort of uh, romanticize this, obviously, because it was such an amazing major. People will kind of forget, because it was only a two-stroke win at the end, that it wasn't really overly exciting on the back nine there. No, but just the fact that Phil was in the lead, you know, trying to win at 50, I mean, that I, I feel like that was a big enough storyline to kind of cover up the fact that maybe it wasn't as dramatic down the stretch as, let's say, even last year's PGA was. Oh, absolutely. And I, I love the PGA Championship. I always say it's the people consider it the worst of the four majors, but it, it, year in and year out, that brings the drama more than any other major. Absolutely. And I, I just love it every single And it's a perfect, I love when the scores, the, the way it was this time, was it 700 or 600? Perfect. 600. Love that. How great I love was that, that course. Oh, so good. They got to go back there and maybe even think about having the U.S. Open there because they could make that. I mean, if the USGA got their hands on that course, they could make it just absurdly difficult. Yeah, uh, it's weird because the I, I didn't even know this before the week. So that course, Kiwa Island in South Carolina, they were awarded the 1991 Ryder Cup, and they Pete Dye hadn't even designed the course. The course wasn't even designed three years earlier. Hey, design a Ryder Cup course for us. Pretty crazy, right? That like <laughs> that would happen, first of all. But then it was the war by the shore, very, very infamous. Ryder Cup came down to the last putt. So it's just weird to me how they didn't go back to that course for over two decades after that, except for like the senior PGA, which doesn't really count, let's be honest. It just no. seems weird that it was like, why wouldn't they have gone back to that course? Because, yeah, 2012 and 2021 were amazing successes. It, 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 it's kind of it's kind of mind-boggling. And I think after what we saw, though, this past weekend, there's no way that they can at the very least, you know, include it in the PGA Championship rotation and, you know, maybe even think about having another Ryder Cup there, hosting the U.S. Open there, because there's just there's just so many options um, for that course and, and for what you could do if you really wanted to even toughen it up even more. And having said that, it still played as one of the harder major championship courses we've seen in the last few years. Oh, absolutely. It was, it was amazing. Uh, and so say, say Phil Mickelson plays okay golf, maybe even say even goes, goes a little bit of a downturn as, as he was the last couple of years. Is he a Ryder cup lock uh, as a captain's pick if he doesn't make it uh, on his own uh, accord? How do you leave him off at this point? I mean, he won, he won a major, right? And he's kind of like the perfect, captain's pick because they're not gonna have to run him out there every single time and who would you rather have you know playing best ball with than phil because i mean you don't want to play alternate shot with phil i think we could both agree on that <laughs> yeah but you know in terms of best ball just letting him you know go for every go for every pin you know hit bombs off the tee i mean he can go he can go low and i think you know it's going to probably come down to between him and probably one of these other younger guys maybe someone like Will Zalatoris, for example. And I'm sure you'll hear the argument that it's probably more worthwhile to kind of get one of these younger guys some more experience at such a big, prestigious event. But at the same time, I mean, you take Phil there and he takes the pressure off all of the other guys, right? He can deal with the media. He can kind of be the spokesperson for that team. Mm -hmm, absolutely. It would, be, it would be amazing. Well, you asked, how could you leave him off the team because he won a major? I could tell you a perfect example of how you can do that because this guy is the only guy to win two majors ever, both on Ryder Cup years, and didn't get included in the team, which was an absolute travesty. John Daly won the 1991 PGA and the 95 British Open and was not on the Ryder Cup teams both years, which is just crazy. Well, I, I can't imagine not taking John Daly to a Ryder Cup. I mean, oh, how cool would that have been? Level, the entertainment factor alone would be... You know, through the roofs. 
Uh, imagine if he, uh, he, I think he suggested this a couple of years too. He never made the, never made a Ryder Cup team, unfortunately, which as we said, would have been amazing if he was the, the captain, <laughs> it would make no sense as to why he would have been the captain, but man, that would have been just an exceptional. <laughs> I think maybe if golf was in a different place and they were desperate for ratings, you know, ha- having someone like John Daly come in and captain the squad, you know, that could definitely boost the amount of eyeballs that would that would tune in, but golf is just at a, such a great place right now in terms of uh, you know popularity, in terms of TV ratings that you know they don't need to they don't need to pull off any kind of hijinks in order to con people into watching their sport. No, for sure, for sure. Actually, it's funny uh, when we're talking about daily. I think I forgot to bring up actually a few episodes ago that he is in contention to win on the Champions Tour all the way down to the last hole with Mike Weir. Speaking of golf yeah. betting and when and you know when do you cash out, when do you not? I could have won five hundred dollars on him. I actually. Had forgotten to bet on him before the tournament, which was just, I've literally never forgotten to do that. But after one <laughs> round, he was still 80 to 1 to win. So I bet, whatever, $5 and whatever it was, 70 cents or whatever it was, whatever it was to equal uh, $500. And uh, he makes Eagle on the back nine, leads by two. They offered like $310 to cash out uh, and, and say the bet's off. You make your 310 but you don't make the additional, potentially, the additional $190. I didn't cash out, went down to the last hole. Daily rinses one in the water, loses to Weir, soul crushing. Would you have uh, cashed out at three hundred and ten, or would you have kept it uh, kept it going? Oh, I'm the worst person to ask for this because I like punishing the books. So I, it's almost against my my code to cash out, and I mean that's come back to bite me a handful of times, mm-hmm. and uh, most notably uh, <laughs> this year at um, the Genesis, I had a pretty substantial wager on Tony Fino at. I believe it was 26 or 28 to one. And, you know, he's in that playoff with Max Homa. I think I believe it was the first playoff hole. He had the drivable par four. He was set up in, you know, position a home was behind the tree and I could have cashed out for, I don't know, 90% or 95%. And of course I didn't. And what happens? I end up holding uh, a big fat zero at the end of the day because Finau, who, you know, has a history of not being able to close. What does he do? He, he doesn't close Homa hits that, you know, incredible shot to get up and down and then wins it on the next hole. So yeah, I probably wouldn't have cashed out either, but I think maybe someone who uh, is a little bit more savvy than <laughs> they have. I mean, he makes the eagle, he goes up by two and it's like, okay, Weir isn't going to make an eagle. And, the, and that same hole, he hits it to like a foot and makes an eagle as well. So then obviously the cash out goes way, way down. And going into 18, it was still $250 daily in the middle of the fairway. I figure if he like Hits it onto the green to about 10 feet or so. Maybe it's like 350 or something like that or 300 for the cash out. Maybe I'd, I'd do it then. But yeah, it's like, I don't know. It's 190. You're punting away. I just felt like I, I got to keep, I got to let this ride. And there's been several, several times I've, uh, you know, had egg in my face after that one. But uh, yeah, I think golf is so unpredictable, right? I mean, it's not uncommon to see a guy, you know, up to heading on to 18, for example, not walk away with the trophy. So yeah. I think, you know, if, if, if you actually crunch the numbers, it would probably be in your best interest to cash out a bunch of the times if you're if you're being offered such a substantial payout. Especially, and you mentioned that Genesis Invitational, it was bad for you, but it was actually great for me because I, I bet Max Homa before the week. I and, know. And tr- oh, trust me, when you were man. telling me all about it, it made me feel <laughs> even sillier. Because, yeah, so I cashed out. So what happened was I, to the folks who didn't see the tournament, so, yeah, uh, I think they were what, tied on 18. Homa hits it to, like, two feet on the 18th oh, yeah, hole. stuffed it. And it's like, okay, obviously he's going to win. Uh, I think I'm, I want to say I could have won 300 or something like that. They offered like 280 to cash out in case he doesn't win. I take the bet. I take the 280. Thank God I have it. And then, I, of course, I bet on Tony Finau to win. 
I pray that Homa misses. Homa does miss. Finau gets into the playoff with him. And like you said, the drive by Homa was so bad in the first playoff hole. They offered me a huge payout on Finau on that. I took that then to, to the, for the double cash out. Could have then bet. I didn't do this. I wish I would have. I could have then bet for the um, on uh, Homa to then come back and win the playoff, which I would have. I would have bet a triple bet on on two of the guys that I would have essentially lost. That would have been amazing. But still, obviously, a pretty great pay on that. But those are so, so few and far between in golf betting. It's so 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 difficult. Oh, hundred percent. And like to be honest with you, after hearing that story, I'm not sure I've ever heard of anyone else pull off a double like that. I think I've done it one other time, if I'm not mistaken, but it's obviously extremely uh, difficult and very, very rare. Uh, who you got uh, for, the, for the majors coming up? Uh, the Open Championship uh, will be after the U.S. Open, of course. Uh, by the way, I, the, the Phil story, as we were saying, was incredible and it was so awesome. I just wish that would have been the U.S. Open that that happened at. That would have just been, it would have been a hundred times more because he would have completed the career Grand Slam. That would just would have been amazing. Hundred percent, and and I don't know if you've seen his U.S. Open odds now, but you know what was he pre-turn of the PGA? I mean, I, I saw two hundred fifty to three hundred one uh, tickets out there online, and he's all the way down to forty to one to win the U.S. Open at, at Torrey Pines this year, which. I mean, it seems like a bit of an overreaction. Well, overreaction. It's funny you say that because uh, when he was leading midway through Saturday, I went, oh, my God. I was talking to my, to my buddy, our buddy Adam Scully, and we were, I was texting with him, and he's like, hey, uh, just uh, just thinking about this. What are the odds for Phil to win the U.S. Open in case he doesn't win the PGA? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. So I jumped on that. I, was, I got him at like 150 to 1. And now, of course, yeah, now it's like 40 to 1, which is terrible. I would never do, <laughs> never bet on him at 40 <laughs> to 1. That's terrible. But at 150, Sure, why not? So, love that uh, we got him uh, before on that. The futures golf betting is 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 key to get some guys way way before. So yeah, any guys you're looking at for the U.S. Open in the uh, in the Open Championship? Uh, definitely got a couple names for the U.S. Open. Uh, first up, I'm sure this number would have been a little bit longer prior to last week, but Shane Lowry at sixty six to one mm. feels like pretty good value. Um, obviously, a former major champion. Excels at tough courses, was fourth, I believe, last week at the PGA, had a good run at the players this year, 21st at the Masters. And the big thing with him is his ball striking lately has been incredible. Um, 9.6 strokes gained ball striking last week. He gained over five at the Heritage, uh, nearly four at Sawgrass. So he's been trending in the right direction for a long time. And, you know, this this course is going to be, uh, Torrey Pines, that is, you know, right off the um, right off the ocean, it's going to play hard, and if the wind gets gets going, he's exactly the type of player who could uh, could show up and, and win this thing. Uh, and then just in keeping in line with our, our long shots theme after Phil won at uh, at the PGA, kind of like Brent Snedeker um, yes. at Torrey Pines. Yeah, um, he's won there twice in the past. Um, this game is trending in the right direction three top 17 finishes in his past four starts heading into uh weirdly he didn't, play, he, he didn't play the pga which he wasn't even qualified for that which is bizarre yeah i mean he his game kind of went in the toilet uh last year but he's he's kind of in uh the midst of one of his best stretches in the last few years and you know if he goes back to a place where he's clearly had a lot of success in the past i feel like 150 to 1 is a pretty strong uh value absolutely a, a golfer for me uh the odds aren't like perfect on this but He's been so, so good uh, the last, uh, let me see, uh, six years at Torrey Pines. 24th, 18th, 4th, 6th, 13th, 2nd. And I'll always say this about this guy. I, I virtually never bet on him because of the fact that he's only won the once. 
Like who were we, we were referring to before? Tony Fino. <laughs> the fact that he can't. I just feel like his his next one. He's only won the once, which is insane considering how he's all uh, oodles and oodles of top tens. I feel when he finally wins the, the big one because the other one was a Puerto Rico. It wasn't really a big tournament at all. It's going to be a major. And at thirty three to one, he's so good at Torrey Pines. Obviously, I still don't love those odds for him, but uh, the fact that uh, yeah, he hasn't been playing as good a golf, so that, uh, maybe those odds will go to like forty to one before the tournament or something like that. But I just feel like when he wins, when he finally wins one, it's going to be, uh, or I guess the second one, it's going to be a huge, uh, big tournament. So it uh, might be the, the U.S. Open. Yeah, I mean, is there a safer bet at a major championship than Tony Finau for you know a top ten? I mean, even in poor form this past week, he still posted a T eight, I believe. He has, let's see, three, five, seven, nine top tens at majors since 2018. Uh, I mean, there can't be too many other players who have that kind of resume going into a place like you said he's excelled at. And, you know, he plays these hard courses very, very well. He's super consistent and super long off the tee. So, I mean, his game fits what it, what you'll need to succeed at Torrey Pines for sure. Definitely. And uh, for the uh, Open Championship, uh, I like Terrell Hatton, actually. Uh, I think he, again, these aren't like a super long shot, but 25 to 1, Terrell Hatton, uh, you know, seems like he's on the cusp. I know he's had uh, some struggles in majors in the last uh, couple of years, but he seems like he, uh, he's, you know, been up there in some other bigger PGA Tour events, of course, one Bay Hill a couple of last year. Terrell Hatton, I think, uh, you know, maybe uh, can break through. He's had a couple top uh, sixes in the British Open in the past, so. Yeah, he, he's the kind of guy, he's going to win a major at some point. His game is, is too good. Um, you know, sometimes you can question his his mental game as he's been known to fly off the lid. I love it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's pretty strong value. Um, I like Victor Hovland as well, mm. 25 to 1. Um, he's kind of like Rory Light at this point in his career. You know, he's phenomenal ball striker. His short game's coming along. He's very long off the tee. I mean, he's a... I think he's an excellent bet at, at the U.S. Open as well, although his odds probably are, are shorter than 25 to 1, given how well he's played recently. But uh, I think, you know, an Open Championship venue could suit his game very, very well. Yeah, uh, without question. Actually, I was also looking at him as, at him as well. And, and same, yeah, same sort of thing. I think it was 25 to 1. I was like, absolutely, without question, could do that. And that's a, that's a really good comparison to say he's a Rory McIlroy light. Uh, that's a really good one, actually. I like that a lot. Let's get into some hot gossip about golf. Very, very rare do you hear any uh, anything with any any beef between players, anything like that. But at this, uh, we were mentioning, of course, the PGA Championship. Brooks Kepka and the Bryson DeChambeau feud sort of reached a fevered pitch, perhaps, if if you believe that it's actually true. We'll get to that in a bit. But uh, how how much do you love this uh, simmering uh, rivalry between the two uh, between the two guys? I uh, we were talking before. It's kind of like a WWE promo, right? You've got. Uh... You've got the classic jock versus nerd clash in this situation. I mean, Bryson kind of seems like the guy that Brooks would stuff in the lockers when he was in high school, you know? True. <laughs> but I think in terms of what this does for the game, it, it, it creates more excitement, creates more drama. Um, you know, it provides so many different talking points for the media. The only thing I will say is that it's kind of unfortunate that it's happening at a time when I, I really don't think golf needs any any extra attention. I mean, I'm sure any attention is, is any press is good press, but still the game is in such a good place right now that it's too bad. This didn't happen, you know, at a point when maybe the game wasn't thriving like it is, but still it's, it's, it's pretty fun for the game. I mean, clearly Brooks just can't stand this guy. And and now Bryson's kind of picking up on that. And, you know, he's, his trolling on social media is probably making Kepka hate him even more. And, and like you said, I think the disdain 
um, on Kepka's part is real. But now with how much it's kind of escalated over the past week, um, I'm starting to wonder like you are uh, perhaps maybe some of this is, is, is a bit staged. I would love, I'd love to think of the possibility of those two sipping tequila together, you know, after tournaments or whatever, and just giggling at the fact that, you know, their, their, their feud is, you know, everyone thinks they hate each other. I would love to think they're actually buddies. That'd be so, so good. Uh, so well, yeah. For, okay. So yeah, yeah, you're obviously familiar with this kind of, I think it's a $40 million initiative that the PJ tour has put up, um, to kind of incentivize its players to be more active on social media, to be kind of, you know, more like influencers. And, you know, Brooks, I mean, he may hate this guy, but at the same time, he's smart enough to realize that if this could kind of increase his social media presence, for example, he could monetize this situation. Mm-hmm. Well, $8 million, I believe it is, goes to the the player deemed most valuable uh through their player impact program, that sounds so stupid. But yeah, so I don't, I don't know if 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 feuds kind of fit into that that whole um, category. But if it's it's you know it's it's drawing more eyeballs um, to these guys, and it's just, I mean, Bryson seems like the kind of guy who's um, he, he's he's always kind of he's always getting all the attention, right? And, and perhaps this is one way of looking at it, is that perhaps Brooks is maybe a little bit you know, a little bit jealous of the fact that Bryson gets all this attention, gets all this, this, this publicity when, when he's not the one, I mean, sure he does have a U.S. open, um, on his resume, but, but Brooks is a guy who, I mean, he's got four majors and he's, he's in contention at every major. It seems like when he shows up, you know, maybe he's a bit jealous of all the attention that, that Bryson gets. Uh, that's a very good point. I, I would, I would expect, expect so because yeah. So I would love to play the clip by the way, uh, for those who have, haven't seen it, but uh, finally, finally took a long time, got taken down on social media, but yeah, it was an interview. Uh, I believe I was a Friday, the PGA championship and uh, for golf channel. And somehow some guy uh, got this leaked and somehow he's able to play it out. I don't, I don't know how, but essentially, yeah, Brooks was distracted by something either uh, DeChambeau said, which uh, is a belief, um, Brooks was saying uh, that he, he's finding it hard to make the putts or something. And people are thinking DeChambeau under his breath said, well, just hit the putts in the right line, which of course then. Well, did you, if, you saying, go oh, back and, if you go back and listen to it, you can actually hear what Bryson's talking about. What to say, is that what he said? Right? Uh, no, reading. no. He's talking about how, basically how he played the 18th hole. If you really listen to it, he's talking about how he had a great drive and um, he had a, you know, a great shot in and then just something to do with, you know, what went wrong on the green. So I believe he was actually um, talking to his team about, you know, what happened on, on the 18th hole there, but still kind of a classless move by him to walk right in front of the camera, right in front of Kepka's interview, I guess, well, behind Kepka's interview, but still, you know, he was in the shot. He could have easily waited until the interview was over, but, you mm-hmm. know, maybe he's, it's just a, a part of his trolling on, on Brooks. Yeah, it's uh, it, it is really funny, and uh, like I said, it'd be so so funny if like there's a you know photos get leaked uh, eventually, and the, you know they're just two buddies uh, hamming it up. That'd be I would love it so so much. Yeah, the timeline I guess uh, where this all started was a slow play. Brooks doesn't like the fact that Deshambo took forever, and then um, I think uh, then Bryson said that uh, Brooks doesn't have abs like he does, and then Bryson <laughs> sorry Brooks posted a photo on on. Um, on Twitter saying, oh yeah, I'm just too short of a six pack, which was, she showed us four major championship trophies and it's sort of, and then, oh yeah, the, uh, the, the best one was Bryson was mad that he couldn't get a free drop because there was fire ants by his ball. And then the next day Kepka like jokingly said, oh, so there's, there's fire ants by my ball, like just to mock him. And so I think it's awesome. It's great for the game. And, and you, I would think normally the tour would have, uh, put the clamps on all this, 
But I think obviously they like it. It looks like it seemed like the commissioner Jay Monahan uh, really likes this exposure because I swear in years past they would have with Tim Fincham would have been like, no guys, get this over with, get that video down right away. We don't want any of this. You know, we're a professional game, all that stuff or whatever. So I love this rivalry. I think it's great for golf. Brooks, Bryson, and Patrick Reed. People complain oh, about them often, but I love it because <laughs> it just they, they bring such entertainment value to the sport. Yeah, absolutely, and. Um so what do you think about uh, a potential pairing at the U.S. Open? Do you think that's in the cards? I saw something last night online that um, was posted that the USGA has reached out to Gary Woodland to see if he'd be okay playing with Brooks and, um, and Bryson in the first two days of the U.S. Open. And I would kind of be like, you know, that would be the past three U.S. Open champions all playing together. So they kind of play it off like that. And and Woodland said apparently that he'd be up to it, but he said that it's funny he said this. That something I wouldn't have thought. He said that Bryson wouldn't go for it. I mean, I would have thought that it would be Brooks who would potentially turn that pairing down. Oh, so you see, uh, interesting. Yeah. So actually, I was also thinking that the, the exact same lines that you were thinking to have th- the three of them. But then I I couldn't remember the U.S. Open. Are they not allowed to have that? Because um, isn't it like the reigning U.S. Open champion plays with the U.S. Amateur champ, or is that just the Masters? No, no, they, that's that's usually what happens in the U.S. Open as well. But, but just the USGA it. has done kind of some quirky things with its pairing and pairings in the past, right? And so, with all the attention that these two are getting, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't rule out the USGA deciding to maybe switch things up. Oh, that'd be so so good. Yeah, yeah. Wave that rule. I'm sure that it'd be actually really funny if it was the U.S. Amateur champ. And then the two of them, and that'd be like the most miserable round of his life. Nobody talking at all. He'd just be like, "Oh, no, this sucks." But well, the, uh, I think the know. key is finding the right guy to be the third in that in that pairing, right? I mean, I think you. <laughs> I saw someone um, make the point the other day that Mickelson would actually be um, uh, someone to consider in, in mm-hmm. that role because he would be and he'd be constantly be needling um, both of them as as the round went on, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think eventually, I mean, eventually they're going to play together, right? Like, I can't imagine, um, I can't imagine a scenario where they don't just by chance end up in a, a final group together uh, in the next year or two at, at one of these big tournaments because they're always they're always in contention, right? I mean, I personally can't remember the last time they played together, but um, it's definitely something to look forward to. And and what kind of dynamic is that going to bring to the Ryder Cup team this year? I wonder. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely that's another reason why to have uh, Phil Mickelson on that team to sort of be able to keep everybody centered and be like, hey guys, we're all trying to go for one goal here, and uh, and so yeah, no, that, that's a good point. Uh, I don't even know if he's qualified for the U.S. Open. Probably not, but Pat Perez would be awesome. Uh, I think with those two guys, I think it would just be cool because he's really really funny and, and entertaining. But uh, I, I'm gonna assume he's probably not qualified, but that'd be awesome for him to be there. No, maybe we can get a special exemption for, for Pat Perez this year. <laughs> to be the <laughs> They've been handing them out recently, I saw, so maybe they can they can fork over one more. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and also uh, coming up uh, in July here, there's the um, the match, the fourth match now. Phil Mickelson playing with Tom Brady against your boy Aaron Rodgers and Bryson DeChambeau. Do you have any interest in that? Uh, do you think it's, uh, it will be uh, quite good? or Because there's been a lot of trolling already on social media, as you mentioned about that. Yeah, I mean, I, from a betting um, standpoint, I think I have a, a big interest in, in backing Bryson. Um, mm. They're probably going to go out there and play it, you know, a relatively easy course um, so as to not embarrass Brady and Rodgers. And, I mean, you put Bryson on uh, on an easy course with how far he hits the ball and um, – his game in general versus Phil. I mean, I know obviously Phil beat him last week, but if you go back throughout the course of the past few years, how many times has, has 
Phil beaten uh, Bryson in, in, in tournament, right? So um, I'm not sure what the line opened up as. I'm sure you do since I saw that you were writing about it yesterday. Yeah, I'll pull um, up now. Uh, it was definitely very, very much into the, uh, you know, obviously Bryson winning that thing, you know, winning the match. Uh, but they're, they're, the course they're playing, I believe, is in Montana, and it's like super high elevation. And so oh, there's going to be hitting at 450 off the tee then. Well, I was reading and I, this doesn't seem right. I was reading they were like, yeah, there's one hole is like a 777 yard par five. And uh, the, the the article that I read was like, yeah, he might try to drive that green in one, which I was like, I well, don't that seems a bit see. far-fetched. But. <laughs> exactly right. But man, that'd be amazing to try. But it was the 17th hole. So it's like, I hope they at least get to that point then to be able to see him try to, to do that. If uh, you know the winds that is back or something like that. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so the, the line for that right now uh, opened up as minus 170 for DeChambeau and Rogers to win, plus 130 for uh, as the underdogs for uh, Mickelson and Brady. And I mean, that probably that probably seems accurate, but I mean, mm-hmm. I still think there's value on on Brayson and, and Rogers. I mean, Rogers is no slouch on the golf course either, right? He plays in all these celebrity pro-ams and, and does quite well at them. And Brady wasn't exactly a star the last time we saw him on the course, no. so... Um, I, I, I still think there's value on, on Bryson and Rogers. And I bet you that line gets even shorter, um, in the, the next couple of months leading into the, to the event. I feel like Phil just like, he's won two of the three of these and it's just this, especially cause he's going to be the, obviously the underdog here. He's going to want to prove again, like I shouldn't be the underdog. And like, somehow he's going to, you know, summon something up uh, just to prove that again, like he's, you know, he's obviously still got it. And so, uh, I actually said that. Uh, to bet the underdog on that one, but which probably means that then, yeah, Rodgers and DeChambeau will probably destroy them. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just it's it's too bad just with the timing of all this that that Brooks. I'm sure they've reached out to Brooks, and there's probably no way he would have done it. But um, if only we could get you know Brooks and and Brooks and Rodgers would be an interesting pairing, right? I mean, two of the most vindictive athletes on the planet uh, teaming up to take on Bryson and I, I guess Brady. Uh, as well, that, that would have been you know, really interesting as well. But I guess, you know, I guess they couldn't convince Kepka to do it. I'm imagining. Yeah, that that would have been uh, amazing. Well, obviously, uh, we uh, talking about Aaron Rodgers there. Let's get into a little bit of NFL. Obviously, you're a huge Green Bay Packer fan, and uh, I'm sure you've been. Well, I know we, we've been texting a little bit, reeling a little bit at the possibility that Aaron Rodgers may leave Green Bay. Do you actually think he will? I, I think they're going to mend the fences and uh, he'll play for them uh, next year. I think if he wants to play football, he's going to play in Green Bay next year. There's, they're pretty adamant that they're not going to trade him, and I, I, mean, I don't blame them. Their window is it's clearly now, and if you remove Rodgers from the equation and you, you put in Jordan Love or, God forbid, Blake Bortles in there instead, um, I think this is this isn't even a playoff team, right? I mean, that's how much Rodgers means to this this organization, and. I, I mean, like I just said, he's very, very vindictive, one of the most vindictive athletes on the planet. And I think he was embarrassed by what happened to him on draft night, you know, last year when they when they took his replacement and the fact that his replacement wasn't even good enough to be the number two quarterback at any point last year mm-hmm. probably didn't help the situation. I think if you if you ask the, the Packers front office, I think that if they could go back, they would have never taken Jordan Love. They certainly wouldn't have traded up to, to take Jordan Love. But, I, I mean, ultimately, who, he's going to be there. He's going to play there. I'm, I'm hoping. I'm, I'm probably 85% certain that he'll end up playing the season in Green Bay. And I, I'm pretty convinced if he doesn't play for Green Bay or if he, he decides he's going to hold out, they're not going to trade him. Yeah. I mean, it's just – Absolutely. It, it, 
And and who's going to trade for him? That's the other thing. I mean, if he wants to win a Super Bowl, I, I do feel like this is his best um, his best opportunity to do so. I mean, none of the teams that are in desperate need of a quarterback are are a Super Bowl contender necessarily if you put Rodgers into the equation. I mean, I know some of our Broncos – um, fans <laughs> that we're friends with would would argue, but I, I personally I don't think their roster top to bottom is is a Super Bowl contender. And even with Rodgers, they're I think they're still a dog to Kansas City by a significant um, amount. Even win the the AFC West, let alone come out of the AFC and win the Super Bowl. So I mean, it's I certainly was hitting the panic button on on draft night, like a lot of other Packer fans, but. Hearing some of his former teammates that are in the media now, guys like John Kuhn and um, James Jones talk about the situation, uh, they seem to think it's a bit overblown, as do I. And I mean, the problem with Rodgers is just everything he says is so cryptic, right? He never says exactly what's on his mind. It's like everything's a riddle to him. So you never really get a great sense of where his head's at. But I think ultimately, you know, he's going to come back. He's going to lead the team to another successful season. Will they lose in the NFC Championship game? Yet again, probably, because that seems to happen. Man, it's it's uh, pretty crazy how you know was he one in four or one in five in NFC title games? Well, uh, he's lost to Seattle, obviously, ooh. which I will never live down that loss. Ooh, I was, I, that was my uh, next question. I was leading into that actually. That oh, that, that was a, you know I was leading you <laughs> leading you into that for I, sure. I don't think I've ever been so um, emotional as I was after that game. I mean, that was just. The ultimate same stomach punch. But so he lost to Seattle. <laughs> he's lost to Atlanta. He's lost to San Francisco. And most recently he lost to Tampa Bay. So I believe he's one in four. Yikes. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's just weird to think. I know obviously it's a team game and, and clearly he's an incredible Hall of Fame quarterback. It's just weird that he wasn't able to pick off one, at least one more of those uh just really and if you go back bizarre. and you look at those, if you go back and look at those Packer teams in the games that he's lost, the playoff games that he's lost, the the defense has surrendered over thirty points in nearly every single one of them. I mean, he's he's certainly done his part um, to get them there. Um, it's just the the defense has, has kind of let them down, and then this past this past season, maybe some questionable play calling down the stretch. You know, not going for well, on fourth down, kicking a field goal. How pissed you about that? Like, that's insane that they went for the field goal as opposed to uh, the, the the touchdown down eight points. Like that, you must have been furious. Yeah, I, I was totally furious. And had they had a defense on the field that had proven that it could, you know, come up with a big stop in a big situation, okay, maybe there's an argument to be made for kicking the field goal there. But ultimately, you have one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play, you know, under center for your team, the reigning MVP. You're inside the ten yard line. You're down. You're down by one score. You you got to go for it. You got to put the ball in his hands, and you've got to live with the outcome. Yeah, you know, I think it's far easier to sell to your um, fan base that okay, you know, Aaron, we gave the ball to Aaron. He couldn't get it done. Rather than no, we took the ball out of his hands and we relied on our defense, which, let's be honest, it, you know, wasn't a top. 10 top 15 unit last year. I think that's definitely why, uh, certainly why he's pissed with uh, obviously management, as you said, for drafting Jordan Love, but then the coaching staff, I'm sure as well for that one, because clearly you need to have Aaron Rodgers throwing that pass like that. That just, oh, I can't even imagine being in that situation. I'd be so angry uh, if, you know, if Seattle took the ball out of Russell Wilson's hand, if the defense again wasn't very good, even if the defense was really good, I would still think you got to go for that in that situation. Uh, but yeah, so and they've also, as you mentioned, in was the last ten drafts, I want to say, have drafted nine defensive players, and then the only uh, offensive guy was Jordan Love. Like 
That also has to piss him off. Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> it's been a while since they drafted uh, a skill position player that early. I mean, uh, I mean, they did draft a running back in the second round last year uh, when they had Aaron Jones on their roster. Um, so there's that as well. I mean, last year's draft will just go down as arguably one of the worst in, in professional football history, I think. But um, so, yeah, but I, I, I don't necessarily buy the argument that, OK, sure, they haven't done a great job drafting and kind of bringing in young talent for Rogers, but that's not to say there's not a lot of talent on this team. I mean, he's got Devonte Adams as his number one, who's arguably one of the top two, maybe three receivers in the league. Um, he's got a very competent tight end. He's got an elite running back. Um, I mean, granted Alan Lazard and MVS aren't exactly, you know, all pro number two and number three receivers, but they were adequate. MBS is at least a deep thread who, you know, is a big play waiting to happen. So he had weapons. He had a phenomenal offensive line. So I don't necessarily buy the fact that they didn't give, you know, give him enough to work with. Um, but at the same time, drafting a quarterback when you already have the <laughs> a two-time MVP, soon to be three-time MVP on your roster uh, and it wasn't like he was saying, yeah, it wasn't like he was saying, oh, I might retire like Brett Favre when, of course, Rodgers was originally drafted years ago. Brett Favre was uh, waffling on retiring for two, three, four years before that. So, but it wasn't like Rodgers was doing that. So it's it's a very similar situation, but not exactly the same. Uh, so I could see why he'd be upset about, about that. No, no question about that. 100%. 100%. And um, I mean, Favre was kind of holding the team hostage for so many years. Um, before they finally kind of broke free from him. And, and from all that I can gather, Rodgers has not been doing that to this team. And it, it felt very disrespectful. And I can understand why he's so upset by how, um, about what happened to, to him last year. And just the fact that they didn't give him any heads up that, hey, we're thinking about maybe taking a quarterback to develop, you know, because eventually you'll be, you know, you'll you'll want to move on. And the one, the one other thing about taking love is, you know, the whole idea behind taking a quarterback early in, in the first round is to maximize, you know, your opportunity to win a championship with a young, inexpensive quarterback on the roster so that you can build, you know, the other parts of your roster to the point where it can contend for a championship. And, mm -hmm. you know, Jordan Love isn't playing, uh, wasn't playing last year for sure. Chances are he's not playing this year. I mean, if Roger sticks around, he's not, He's not playing next year either, so uh, it's just it's it's a really tough pill to swallow for, mm -hmm. for Packers fans having to to see Jordan Love back there. And yeah, people give me sort of grief about the Seahawks, and you know Pete Carroll's not a good coach. He's only won the one Super Bowl. Obviously, uh, yada yada yada. You should have ran the ball. You can we could, I've debated that to the end. To the cows <laughs> come home. I think they should have still passed, just a different type of type of pass, but. It's so hard. Not 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 every coach is Bill Belichick. It is so hard to win chips in the super in the NFL. Sean Payton only has one. Andy Reid only has one. Carroll has one. Mike McCarthy, who everyone said was horrible, only has one. But now his replacement has gone to two NFC title games and also lost those as well. So it's like it's, if people, I think, view like, oh, Green Bay should have won eight Super Bowls by now. Seattle with Wilson should have won five. It's really freaking hard to win Super Bowls. Hundred percent, hundred percent. It's just. When you have, you know, when you have the MVP on your roster, um, when you have one of the greatest quarterbacks ever to be on your, uh, to be on your team, you expect to at least get more than one opportunity mm -hmm. to win one of these things. And, and the fact that they they did make four additional NFC Championship games and couldn't close the deal is, I mean, it, it's 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 pretty pretty frustrating. 
say the least. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, off the top, I mentioned, of course, that we both write for Sports Betting Dime. Uh, get you out of here on a couple of last things here quickly. Uh, yeah, what, what are you what are you uh, writing for SBD these days? And I know you were a Korean baseball expert. Uh, how'd that come to be? And uh, were you were you betting on those games yourself as well? Of course, I was betting on them. <laughs> betting on the the KBO last year was one of the few sporting. Um, uh, one of the few sports that you could bet on during True. you know the early part of lockdown and um, so just in terms of, of what I write for um, for SBD I'm kind of a uh, I like to consider myself a jack of all trades and master of none because I literally write about nearly every major sport that we provide content for um, and last year there was obviously a huge lull in April and May and and even parts of June as well so I was writing about the KBO um, every day and i actually fell in love with uh one of the pitchers for the eventual champions the nc dinos chang mo ku who was actually my avatar on twitter this guy i mean prior to getting injured in in july was having one of the most historic seasons i have ever witnessed um for a pitcher and um it was just it was a fun it was a fun escape for me because it was a chance to follow you know baseball which i'm not i'm not necessarily a huge baseball fan um, but it was a, an opportunity to follow a sport when when nothing was going on. And these games would um, would happen at you know four or five o'clock um, on the East Coast in the morning, and I was up at that point um, dealing with what of our um, of our children. So I would pop on some KBO action, and I would sweat it pretty hard. And um, the lines, because they were coming, you know, the games were happening in um, in Korea. The lines weren't necessarily all that sharp, so there was, um, especially in the, the first few months, there was a lot of opportunity there to make some some extra bank betting on the KBO. And so, what made this pitcher so like? Did he have a unique pitching mo- motion? And uh, what was his ERA? Like, uh, just was he? You said historic there. Um, so he, uh, it's not a, it's not any kind of unique um, kind of, uh, it's not any kind of unique logo. It's just a shot of him, and he went. I believe it was 11 or 12 of his first 13 starts with allowing one run or less multiple shutouts over that span. And he was just, he was mowing down hitters left, right and center. Uh, you couldn't, you couldn't even make contact off this guy. So I, I quickly kind of, uh, took a liking to him and I, there was no, there was no sure bet, um, than back in the NC Dinos when, when he was on the Hill. Um, prior to his injury, it was uh, it was it was a print fest. Hmm. I wonder if you'll uh, get a chance uh, in Major League Baseball. If someone will, uh, you know, try to tr- try to sign him because that'd be cool to see uh, if his uh, game translate to, to the uh, to the Major Leagues. Yeah, he's he's young guy too, early twenties. So there's plenty of opportunity for him to, you know, refine his his game even further and and maybe make a go of that. Uh, in the big leagues over here. Hmm. Uh, that'd be interesting. Uh, well, we already touched on it a little bit uh, earlier, but yeah, what's, uh, would you say, your best and your worst gambling uh, beat and uh, win stories are? Uh, I, honestly, that Tony Finau story still haunts me. Mm. Um, the thing about having two young kids is you can't remember what happened yesterday, let alone <laughs> <laughs> in the past. So that's kind of the the one that, that still haunts me the most. Um I wish I had a great story of, I've never, uh, I mean, aside from hitting, uh, Adam Hadwin at the Valspar at a hundred to one, um, gosh, what was that? 2016 or 2017? How much did you bet on that? Uh, just 10 bucks. So that was, nice. you know, a healthy, Grand. a healthy, that was a mortgage payment for, <laughs> for the week. Perfect. That's um, awesome. so that's definitely my, uh, the longest shot I've ever hit. 
uh, in terms of an outright winner at golf. Um, I'm not someone who does, um, who makes any kind of like crazy parlays or anything like that. So Same. I'm not chasing the huge payouts. I'm just trying to find value. And to be honest with you, the, the thing I try and pick off most are our player props, because I think that is by far the softest market and the ones that the books honestly are slowest to react to, um, especially when injury news breaks. Um, so I, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a bit of a grinder when it comes to betting, where I focus the majority of my attention on on betting player props. Um, of course, I bet sides and total totals for NFL like everyone else, but those markets are so efficient um, that I think if you really want to actually make money betting um, on football or basketball, for example, you you target the player prop market. I think uh, one of my favorite bets I've done for a few years. I I, I don't do it every single day, but um, off and on. But just a it's a fun bet to make for baseball. Um, for the Jays games, I'll do first home run of the game will be a grand slam, and it's fifty to one odds. So it's obviously one of those fun. I was I'll only ever really put like four dollars on that for two hundred. It's just a fun little thing. You know, maybe you're going to the games. Well, not anymore. But when we were going to the games, <laughs> it was always fun to be able to be like, ah, oh, say they hit, they hit that grand slam, and that'd be so cool. And like, yeah, I remember the first couple of years of doing it. If you were, I, I looked at every single game, just just the Jays though. Uh, if you were to do it, you would have been up like plus 400 each year, uh, you know, because I think that it might have hit four or five times for the whole season. Of course, it wouldn't have all those, all those other games. But there was the, the earlier in the year, for some reason, my Bet365 account and no other uh, book that I, to my, to my knowledge, uh, has this uh, bet uh, available. Wouldn't, uh, the, my, my, my login wouldn't work for the day for some weird reason. So I was sweating it out. It was a Jays against Atlanta this year. Okay, it's not going to happen. The, the pitcher, Tommy Ballone, got the first two guys out for Atlanta. So, okay, cool. Then he, of course, loads the bases. Then it's a grand slam. And I was so rattled because it was like, oh, my God, I wanted to make that bet, but I couldn't because the stupid login wouldn't work. So I was so frustrated with that. <laughs> and then I, I did it at that bet a couple other times throughout the year. And then this past Monday, uh, I, I placed the bet. Thank God I noticed this. I placed it like the night before. It was like $4 to win 200 on the Jays game. And then for some reason, it was a pitching change, I guess. So they said, uh, they sent me a message saying non-runner notification. So the bet is void. Thank God I noticed that because then I then did a, 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 the bet on the game the, the next time with the updated odds. It was still 50 to 1. And there was a grand slam. So I won 200 on that, which is always a cool, it's always a fun little, like one swing in the back can make you 200 bucks or more, depending on how much, how much you bet on it. And I would have been so rattled again if you know that non-runner notification happened. And I didn't see it, and then there was a grand slam. I would have been pissed. You're one of the people I find that that in my kind of circle of, of friends who who hit some of these outrageous bets more often than, than others. For example, like you messaged me the other day about how you hit, uh, I believe it was Jason Spezza to score the next Leaf goal yes. at eighteen to one. I mean, I don't follow hockey that closely, but. <clears throat> to be honest with you, I was kind of shocked that those odds weren't more in your favor than just eighteen to one for for Spencer to score. But he's yeah, actually been like- really good for the Leafs. Uh, actually, game uh, was it game four. I bet on him to score the first goal, and he didn't hit a breakaway to score the first goal against Montreal. And I was like, holy crap! And he missed. And then he scored oh. the second goal for the Leafs that game. But I, I, I considered betting on him again. I didn't, and I was like, ah, damn it! So <laughs> it's obviously it's one of those bets where you're obviously it's yeah it's a dart throw, obviously. Yeah, for sure. But I feel like you have more success at these dirt throws than uh, than most. So you know, all the power to you. That's that's not usually my my style, but 
listen, if you if you got a if you've got a niche and if you can attack it and you can be profitable doing it, then then go for it. Ah, they're 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 just fun bets to make. Like I said, it's a instantly like a, instead of having to wait for a whole game or you know, uh, wait for four days for a golf tournament to, to be finished. <laughs> it's just an instant win. You know, it's just that, that cool feeling of like, yes, I hit that. So, of course, obviously, there's plenty of losses where that came from as well. So, but uh, that's been an awesome uh, chat, uh, Chris. Uh, stoked to have you on. And uh, yeah, let's hope uh, some of our bets, uh, future golf bets, uh, end up paying out. And that daily uh, ends up winning a tournament this year because I will always bet on him every single week because his odds are always outrageous. And that'd be so awesome if he won. Well, it's only a matter of time, right? He'll he'll get back in the winner's circle. Let's hope so. Well, thank you so much, Chris. Uh, it's been a blast, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Uh, sounds good, buddy. Great talking to you. That was a blast talking to my great friend, Chris Amberley. We go back many years, and it's always fun to catch up with old pals. We are the dynamic duo, Bragg, writing golf content for sportsbettingdime.com, and it was interesting to hear his perspective on Phil Mickelson becoming the oldest major champion ever at the PGA Championship. The simmering feud between Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau is absolutely fantastic. I'd love to see him duke it out to win a major championship in the future. And it's great to see them trolling each other on social media, presumably in their attempts to win the lucrative 8 million player impact program. That still sounds so weird. Speaking of trolling, I enjoyed sticking the needle into Chris just a little bit about the insane Seahawks comeback in the NFC title game in 2015 against his Packers. Aaron Rodgers, 1-4 in NFC title games. Not the best. He and Bryson DeChambeau have just two major championships together. They're up against Tom Brady and his seven Super Bowl titles, and Phil Mickelson and his six major wins. If you're counting, those combined totals result in a 13-2 margin for Phil and Brady, so that's why I think they'll win the golf match in July. Thank you for listening to episode 65 of the H-Dog Pod. Bang. This has been the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. Bang. 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 Let's get into some hot gossip about golf. Very, very rare, of course. Uh, one sec. My, my my headphones fell off there. <laughs> That'll probably be a blooper. <laughs> so good. <laughs>